Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Lord, we just want to ask you now that you'll bless your word this evening. Pray that you'll give help and anointing. You'll give help to communicate. You'll give help to hear, that you'll give liberty, and that, Holy Spirit, you will say to us and speak into our hearts what you want us to hear this night. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The mustard seed, this tiny, tiny seed, the smallest of all seeds, it says in the Word of God here, I think it's, it, it's regarded as the smallest of all garden seeds. But then it grows into the largest of all the garden shrubs and even becomes a tree that the birds can shelter in. The kingdom of heaven, I think we'll all agree, is on the surface like that seed, apparently insignificant. You know, as a philosophy, as a, as a message, it's despised. It's something, you know, we don't have a voice. We don't influence really much that goes on in the world in terms of the big, the big picture, the big voices that, that, that set policy, that, the ideas that are out there. But that tiny, tiny seed has an incredible life potential. And we know this. We know this. We can see even, historically speaking, the gospel, that seed, has impacted the whole earth. Historically, it has even transformed societies. And even in this very day in which we live, millions are having their lives transformed by this seemingly insignificant seed, this thing that doesn't count. It's regarded as madness, stupid. But it's, it has impacted the world. Now, I think we can all see this and understand it sort of at a big picture level. We all can see, yes, this gospel, this kingdom of God has had an amazing impact and continues to have that. But I think what we can struggle with is truly understanding and believing who we are and the potential of the life that has been sown in us by that seed that our lives, they just seem so dominated often by, by everything else, aren't they? And we can miss, as individuals and as a local assembly, that that tiny seed has the same potential in us as we acknowledge that it has at a global level. Now, what transforms in this parable of the Lord, this tiny, tiny seed, into something wonderful, that has an impact on this garden, this whole ecosystem around it. Well, what does the Word of God say? It says, it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, grown, growth. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, growth. Growth is what takes this insignificant seed and transforms it into something amazing. Now, the Word of God has an awful lot to say about growth, and it's a huge topic, and I just want to address a 
couple of little elements of it from these parables. And I suppose as well, speaking a bit from my own experience, because I think growth is something that it can be challenging. And we can get stuck. I think we all acknowledge that. We can get stuck in our Christian lives. So if you like, I'm, I'm going to give a few thoughts and a few sort of experiences and understandings from the ruts that I've got stuck in and how they link here from the Word of God. Now, the Word of God tells us that we grow up into Him. Into Him. This is not something abstract. We're growing up as individuals and as a body into the Lord Jesus. So that's the, that's the kind of objective. It also says that we grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. What do these mean in a practical outworking? Because, you know, we can, we can leave these things in some mystical realm. Growing up into him, growing in the knowledge of Christ, what does it mean? And I want to highlight one aspect of it here from this parable. And there's, there's many aspects. But the, the thing that the Lord Jesus underlines in this particular parable of the mustard seed is that it grows into a tree so that the birds of the air can come and shelter in its branches. And I want to suggest that for us, growth, one of the objectives of growth in our lives as a Christian is to become a shelter, to become a shelter. Individually and as a body, to become a shelter. I want to just back that up by just reading a few verses from Isaiah chapter 32, the first few verses of that chapter. It says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. Of course, that's our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus. And princes will rule in justice. Princes. I believe that refers to us, his people. Psalm 45 tells us that you will make them princes in all the earth, your children. Princes will rule in justice. And these princes and princesses, it says, each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. This is what these princes will be like. And princesses. And of course, we know that this is a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ again. He's the shade of the great rock. He is the shelter. He's the streams of water. But of course, when we grow, we grow up into him, and his life is to be revealed then through us. His life in us. And that life in this particular instance is revealing him as a shelter, a place to hide. Folks, the storms are coming. They're here. The other plants and trees in the garden are failing badly. I was thinking about this and just thinking back through my own life experience and back a few decades and all of the, the other shelter trees, if you like, that have been becoming severely damaged. Going way back, I suppose, back to the 50s and 60s before I was born, but when socialism and communism was regarded as the new shelter for, for the you know, the needy. And we saw back then in the 80s and 90s, 
I remember it well, you know, when the, the Berlin Wall came down and the Eastern Bloc and the fall of the Soviet Union. That tree came crashing down once and for all. We can look back to the 90s here in Ireland uh, when the great shelter tree in this country for many hundreds of years, I suppose, of organized religion, that began to crack and fall apart, it seems, and a whole great dam burst of, of problems and issues emerged. And it, it just, it became not a shelter for people anymore. It began to be, to just crack and fall apart at the seams. We saw then in the 2000s, 2010s, capitalism, which was the great hope for, 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 for all of now the new godless society to make loads of money and buy houses and get, you know, that all collapsed with the financial crash. And now our young people, they have less opportunity to buy a house. They have less opportunity in jobs than we had. So this rampant capitalism has taken a severe battering. And right up to our own day, the last few years, when the great refuge we've built over the last hundred years or so of science and medical technology, wonderful as it is, but it took a hammering. It took a hammering when everyone ran for cover from a little bat virus. So the garden is looking very bare. The shelters that people have counted on are you know, they're, they're not holding up too well to the storm. And it's time and opportunity for us to be a shelter. To be a shelter. There's a time and an opportunity. In a way, there couldn't be a better time. There couldn't be a more opportune moment as society is creaking for us to be a shelter. Not to be an island with our drawbridges up not to be a thorn bush with our prickles out, but to be a shelter. Praise God. Now, so that's the, if you like, the outcome of growth that, that is, is referred to here. Let's think about growth itself then. What are the different aspects of it? I'm just going to take a few bits of it now. And I want to talk first of all about the one principle. I like Pastor Patrick's Principles. I'm going to say it tonight. Principle. Growth is supernatural. It's not of us. We can't do anything. We can't, even in the natural, we can't make ourselves grow. Even more so in the supernatural. It's of God. Colossians says, it speaks about growth that is from God. There's another parable about the, the farmer who goes out and he sows the seed and he comes in, goes morning and evening, morning and evening, and it says the seed grows and he doesn't know how. He doesn't know how. Growth is supernatural. So we can't do anything about it. We can't make it happen. But we can inadvertently or knowingly hinder it or we can allow it to be challenged or we can facilitate it and encourage it. Just like growth in our garden, we can enable it or we can ignore it and, and allow it to not happen. So growth, the only part we have to play in growth is our facilitating of it or our hindering of it. That's the only part we have to play, but it is a part. So let's look then at these other parables. 
So when I look at strength, when you grow, obviously, you get stronger. Think of a child, they get stronger. I want to look at discovery. Is what happens even with a child as they get, they get older. They, they begin to discover, they begin to see more, understand more. And then finally looking at moving beyond ourselves. Again, we all remember like when we were kids, it's all, we, our bubble is us, maybe us and our parents. And then as you get older, you, you start to move beyond that. And these are some aspects of growth. So strength. And let's look then at the, the leaven in the loaf or the life within for strength. So the leaven, or yeast, as we would call it nowadays. This parable, it's so ordinary. It's just an ordinary woman baking bread. That's it. She takes some yeast and it says she hides it in the, in the flour, in the bread, and she lets it rise. And he, she gives, he says, three measures. She hides it in three measures of flour, till it's fully risen. Just a normal, daily activity, sustaining life. And you know, I want to talk about the normal, daily activity that sustains life and causes growth. It's hidden here in this parable, this wonderful parable of the Lord Jesus. There's something interesting about this, that the Lord uses the idea of yeast or leaven because leaven would have been a red flag in the Old Covenant. The Jews would have had to remove all leaven from not just their homes, but there's an instruction in Exodus that says, coming up to the days of unleavened bread, all leaven was to be removed from your territory, completely. And even to this day, I believe that the, the Jews in Israel sell their temporarily sell it. I mean, they, they sell their wheat and all in case it gets fermented by water that's on it and it, it breaches, you know, the commandment. They sell everything to the local Arabs and then buy it back. So there was a severe restriction on leaven. So the Lord is lighting up this red flag to say there's, some, there's a different principle at work here. The principle of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was Get the leaven out. Nothing could be offered on the altar with the leaven in it. It was very strict. There to be no leaven in the bread. It's a type of purity. Leaven was a type of sin. It was, Paul mentions it, the leaven of malice and insincerity. Something that gets in and infects your whole being. That was the leaven of the old covenant. But in the new covenant, this principle, the Lord is, I think, pointing to this, that that principle is not the principle of the new. Why? Because of this wonderful fact in the new that sin has been dealt with. Hallelujah. Sin has been dealt with. There's no longer that principle of separation and keeping, doing your level best to keep sin out. In the new, the new principle is one of life. Now the leaven represents something entirely different. It represents the life hidden within each one of us. Hallelujah. The new life. This is the new covenant. It's not anymore about separation and trying to keep the leaven away and trying to keep things pure. It's about a life 
embedded, hidden, buried within the very innermost being of the believer by which they grow. The life within. A hidden life, yes, like she hid it in the loaf, but a life that is allowed to pervade the whole of our being. Like a loaf of bread, like a put it there and you put the yeast in, you let it sit there, and it rises. Now, a couple of realities about this. That life must be allowed to work. Philippians tells us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that is at work within you. So you work out what God is working in you. So we must allow his life to do its work. And I want to underline tonight that the starting point, or if you like, the base camp of our growth, the base camp, the mountaineers, they go to Everest, and everything is located at base camp. From there they go, they come back to there, they go, they come back. They acclimatize, they get their supplies, they get their medical, they come back if they're injured. The base camp of your growth, of that growth of life within you, is at home on your own. That's base camp. And as with that dough of the woman, or the man, or whoever, we all, if you've ever made bread, you, go, you mix it, and then you literally just put it in a corner, away from everything, away from drafts, and you have to give it time. Giving his life time. It's literally called resting the dough. And I would encourage you, and this is something I keep saying to myself, take the word of God home. Take it home. I think we'll all agree that we, we come in here and we're blessed and sometimes your head is nearly spinning with all that you've heard and that you've just absorbed. And then we can let it evaporate away and just come back the next time and evaporate away and come back. Take it home. Whether it's that night or the following day or whenever works with your life and your schedule. But make that 15 minutes, whatever it is, to sit down and just let it settle in you. Go back over it. Even write down a couple of points from it. Think through. Read what was the Scripture. Take the Word of God home, brothers and sisters. I keep having to, as Pastor Patrick was telling me, I keep having to talk to myself about this. Don't let it just evaporate. Take it home. Because there and in that quiet resting place like the dough in the corner... In that place, it will really do its work. It will really begin to bubble and move and, and do what it wants to do inside of us. Give it time. Interestingly, I was driving to Limerick yesterday with work and I put on, I don't know if anyone else listened to Jerry's podcast, Hope is the Life, but I just stuck on what he had, he was addressing this week. And he was speaking on this topic about Mary and Martha and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, resting like that dough, resting. 
And there, of course, there's the danger, for, particularly for kind of active people, that we've been too active, too busy, even with Christian things, and not give the yeast of the life of Christ within us that time and opportunity to just do what he wants to do inside us. Give him the space to do it. You place that dough, you place it in a certain container, whether it's in a, a loaf tin or in a, a basket, you shape it what you want it to be, and you have to give the dough the chance to fill out that shape, to fill out what you want it to become, as he wants us to become something. And we're there looking, saying, well, I want to become that. We have to let his life do what he wants it to do. Give it space. Give it time. Don't crush it down. Don't, don't suppress it. Don't even try to force it into our rigid thought process and not allow it to take us where, it wants, where he wants to take us. And we're thinking, well, no, I, I think this is the way I see things working out for me. No, let that life of Christ and his word that comes to us, whether it's here in the sanctuary, whether it's at home on our own, whether it's the, those promises we've had from God over the years, go back to them, go back to them, read them again. Again, as to quote Pastor Patrick, talk to yourself about them. Let the dough rise in you. And give that life the lead. This is growth. We must learn to allow the life of Christ by the Spirit to take the lead in us. Not human enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is great, but it will eventually fail. We'll eventually get tired or we'll have a bad day or whatever and the enthusiasm flags. But that life, if you're being led by the Spirit, let that life of Him in you lead the way not human enthusiasm, not a religious spirit. We can just be doing stuff to be doing stuff and doing it and then we're doing it to be seen of others, really. That'll turn sour because we'll end up just criticizing those who we don't think are doing the same as us or whatever or others who we think, well, what are they doing? Or who do they think they are? No, not a religious spirit. Not guilt, just doing things because I feel bad. But no, let the life of Christ inside us lead, set the pace, set the direction for your life, and learn to let it do that by giving it time and space. The work of the Spirit of God within you, working on the Word of God, like that flower and water, and like the yeast then in there, making the whole thing rise and form the shape that He wants in your life. Hallelujah. I speak this... <laughs> from my own bitter experience of times, I, times when I was just doing, 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 even in God's work and empty inside. It can happen. Empty inside. And missing out, really, on what the Lord wanted to do in me. And I had to repent. I still have to repent. And create that time and space for his life to do what he wants to do. Hallelujah. Secondly then, the treasure in the field. And this is discovery. The open heart for discovery. Let's look at this parable. It says the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure, it's like treasure hidden in a field. A man he found it and he covered it up, and then in his joy he went and sold all that he had and bought the field. 
So here again, we just have an ordinary person. Not, no, they're not a ruler or a priest or anything, just an ordinary person walking along. This time it's a man. It strikes me, I mean, I'm reading between the lines here, he's just walking along his daily walk, going through a field from where he wants to go to. And he must, in this parable, he must have seen something. I mean, you don't just go into a field and there's treasure sitting in the corner. But he must have seen something. I, you know, thinking of the Lord Jesus painting the picture for people, perhaps a glint. Sun shines a little glint on something, and it's, what's that? Catches his attention. Goes over and maybe begins to uncover it a bit, and that looks interesting. Uncovers a little bit more and realizes soon this is something extraordinary. Covers it back up, goes out, sells everything so that he can buy that field and get the treasure. His whole life is immediately transformed and energized by this discovery just along the way of an old field he's walking through. And it puts a perspective on the whole rest of his life. I think it's a wonderful understanding of salvation, isn't it? We just saw something. We weren't quite sure what. You could, be, you could be coming along or listening here tonight and you've just seen something. You don't quite know, maybe something a bit different, but these people or maybe you like the music or something is drawing you, but you don't know what it is. Well, you know what? Don't, don't keep going. Stop. Stop. Un uncover it. There's a treasure hidden in the field. There's a treasure hidden in the field, and that treasure hidden in the field, in the end of the day, the treasure hidden in the field is the Lord Jesus Christ. Was there ever such a treasure hidden in the, hidden in the earth of human, human nature? He has no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men, but he is the treasure of all treasures hidden in that earthen vessel. Hallelujah. Jesus. That's, it's, ultimately, it's him. But there's a truth here related to, I believe, our walk. Now, we were speaking about our at home. Now we're talking about our walk, our out and about, if you like, as we move through our lives. And I want to ask the question, when we're out in our lives, not in church or essentially, or maybe in church, whatever, what do we see? What do we discern in the field? And I think there's something in this discovery approach and attitude to us, even as Christians, that we need to take on in our lives. We need to watch out for the treasure that the Lord has hidden in the fields that we go through. Because make no mistake, He has treasure for us, hidden in the field. And the unfortunate reality that we learn from Scripture is that many, and we think we're going to be different, but many don't see the treasure. We can think of what they said. Can anything good come from Nazareth? How can anything happen there? Him. He's just the carpenter's son. I don't see anything there. Galilee? No, no, no. Galilee, Galilee could not be the epicenter of where the Messiah comes from. No. 
fishermen? These ignorant men? I don't see it. These are not God's purpose and appointed <laughs> messengers. Many don't see the treasure in the field. And you know, I believe the tragedy, and I speak this from experience, folks. Many go through their lives missing some or all of God's treasure opportunities for us as believers, as Christians. We get our head down. We think, oh, this field is nothing here. It's an unbelief that can creep into our experience. Perhaps disappointments pile up. Things get us down, and we go head, we just head down. We don't, we don't see. We don't see what the Lord has. And we need in this growth journey to lift up our heads, lift up our heads and open our eyes spiritually and look, look for those indicators of the treasure, that glint of light, that something, that little spark in our spirit or in our mind, that little thing that says, hang on, don't ignore that. Don't ignore it. God is in this. Now, what can stop us seeing through the earth to the treasure that's hidden there? Well, it can be the earth of ordinariness and drudgery. It's a Thursday afternoon. Nothing ever happens on a Thursday afternoon in my life, in this workplace, with these people. Nothing, and nothing will happen. And how we can fall into this trap of writing off whole sections of our existence from the possibility that the Holy Spirit can move in them because they're ordinary, they're familiar, and they're just drudgery to us. We can miss the potential treasure that's hidden in the earth of an unlikely circumstance, a circumstance that seems utterly out of spec or out of reach to the Lord doing something. It's so difficult or tragic or or just troubling or whatever, or negative. It could be the earth of a flawed personality. We look at someone and we say, well, that's not someone that the Lord could be using or could use to speak to me or whatever it is. Because we look at their personality and we see the earth. And we think, well, I'm not, I'm not a, I don't think that person is right in this, that, or the other. And we don't hear, perhaps the Lord has something to say to you through that person. It can just be our Christian prejudices. We just have a set view of how things are, how they should be, how they should work, how they should happen. And the Lord does something as he did with David, with Moses, with Jesus, with Peter and Cornelius. As he's done all through time, he, he does things in the way that people don't expect. And he'll do things in the way that you and I don't expect and don't anticipate. And we need, all we need, I need, you need, to develop that eye for the flash of light, the little indicator, the little, just that stir that indicates there's something here of God in this situation, and I need to open my eyes and wake up to it. 
Unfortunately, we can develop a hypersensitivity and antennae and radar for everything that's wrong, or that's negative, or that's not exactly what we might think as orthodox or not to our taste. But it's an eye for the treasure, an eye that can discern and see and is always looking for, where's God? Where's God going to do something here? That's what will bring growth. That's the, that's the discovery outlook. That's the outlook that says, my day, my journey, it's an adventure and a walk with God, and I'm going to believe that he has treasure for me, even in the most unlikely situation and circumstance, that he has something for me here, and I'm trusting him to let me see it. And he will, just like Moses in the wilderness. It says he turned aside to see, what's this bush? Why is it? The Lord didn't shout at him. He just saw something a little bit different. And he turned, and when, it's, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see it, and that's the, that's the little turning in our spirit when we turn aside to see, the Lord speaks. Oh, and then, you know, when we encounter and see what God is saying or doing, like this man in the field, it says he sold everything. Now, we don't have to sell anything. We don't have to, there's no sort of, transaction of anything we can bring. But there, when we encounter and see what God is doing, there must be an exchange. We have to exchange and lay down our preconceived ideas, our own thoughts and plans, our own rushing forward and stop. We have to exchange our kind of status and, and mentality and we have to lay it down. No, get rid of that. Lord, I'm, I want to hear what you've got to say. I want to respond to what you want to do here. And you know, that exchange, when we do that, when we lay it aside and line up with what the Lord is showing us, it will bring great joy. Great joy. Could you imagine if the Christians in Jerusalem <coughs> had said to Peter, Peter, no, we don't accept that your visit to Cornelius was God's plan. We're shutting this thing down. It's not, you can't be visiting Gentiles. Whatever this was, it wasn't of God. Could you imagine if they'd shut it down? I'm sure they all would have found another way, but that is the reality. They had to lay aside, and when they heard what happened, that the Holy Spirit had come upon them, and they all spoke in tongues, it says, they said, right, we lay aside our, all our preconceived old covenant ideas, we lay them aside and we glorify God and we conclude that God is opening the door of faith to the Gentiles. What a wonderful laying down. And for us, how wonderful that they did. And allow that, facilitated at least, Peter and the other apostles to move out to the Gentiles. Praise God. This open heart is the gate into so much of the Lord, I believe it. And again, I speak from my own negative experience on this. It's so vital. There is so much treasure to be found in the field of our lives. There is God treasure. There's God moments. There's God discoveries. There's things he wants to do in the most unlikely parts of our lives. But we can dismiss it. We can say, no, nah, there's nothing. There's an, that was only a coincidence. But no, we seize it. Lay hold on it. Jump on it. God is in it. 
wrapping up soon, I just want to, just to give a little, I suppose, a little indicator maybe uh, of what I mean by this uh, in a practical way before we finish up. A relative of mine um, has been through a very traumatic medical situation the last few months, unexpectedly, life and death type. She's, it's, 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 she's a Christian of many, many years, but it's, it brought her into a very dark place in her own outlook. You know, Lord, why? What's going on? Will you not heal me of this? Whatever. But going through this, if you like, this dark field, this field she doesn't even want to be in, still doesn't want to be in it, But in that place, she found herself in a hospital ward and managed to, I suppose, overcome her own sense of despair and start testifying to the ladies in the ward with her. And I heard, I heard from her last week that one woman had gone home to die and had messaged her that she had asked the Lord into her life that night. There's another couple of women are asking her questions about different songs and scriptures. And I just thought, isn't that a wonderful illustration? A treasure. There was a treasure in that field to be found. To be found. In a, in a field that she doesn't even want to be in. But a wonderful treasure. When we open our heart to what the Lord wants to do, even if we don't particularly want it. A treasure in the field. Hallelujah. Praise God. Finally then, circling back to the first parable, the loaf of bread. The shared loaf, I'm calling this, moving beyond ourselves. There's an interesting detail here in this parable. It says that the woman took the yeast and she hid it in three measures of flour. Now that that word, three measures, it's actually an official Greek measurement called sana or something. I don't quite remember what, what the word was, but it is a huge amount of flour. I tried to do the maths on it, and this three measures equates to about 52 loaves of bread. So this woman is not just feeding herself and her family. She's feeding the village. She's the Andy Finn of the New Testament. <laughs> the last time I saw a truckload of dough, Andy, it was down at the Young Adults Weekend with all your trays of... Andy wasn't just making a pizza for himself and Carol and Isabel and Spencer. He was making it for the, the whole camp. This is what she was doing. She's, she's cooking bread for about four, a sandwich for about 400 people. And this is... I believe the Holy Spirit outlined, this is the scope of what he wants to do in us. It's not just for me. It's not just for me. There's a terrible danger. As with everything, every good thing has a danger. And there's a danger in the first point I made. At home, you're resting. Leave the dough rest. We need that space and time. But if you leave the dough rest for too long, you overprove it. You know this, Andy. I've done it myself at times. You say, well, I'll get this bigger. I'll get to make this bigger. And if you leave it too long, it gets bigger and bigger, bigger, and then it just collapses, collapses into itself. And for all of us, there's a danger 
Andy mentioned it recently when he's preaching on Moses of, you know, Moses could have stayed on in the wilderness another 10, 20 years, healing, preparing, getting ready. And he would have, the Lord would have loved him and worked in his life, but he would not have been used of God in Egypt. A time came when it was time to move. And there's a time to obey and move out beyond ourselves. Not to become too introspective, never ready. We need to pray more. We need to prepare more. Just navel-gazing. No, get that dough into the oven. There's a time. This growth is not just for us. It's not just for us as it bubbles and, and rises within us. The moment comes when that dough has to go into the oven and feed those around us. It has to. It has to. We can't just isolate ourselves in our little corner and get more and more and more and more and more. Or I'm not ready yet. I'm not good enough yet. I'm not this. I'm not that. And meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, no, get moving. Get moving. Let, let your life be what it's meant to be. And so we come back to where we started. Growth is for us, and then it's for others. His life in us, and then that life providing shelter, providing food to whoever the Lord designates. It's the potential, all oh, the potential of this little seed that has taken root in our lives. It's amazing. It's amazing. So as I, I titled this message, Let's Grow. Amen. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at courtchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.courtchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.